0: Disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist, counselor, or professional broadcaster. The following are stories from my life and personal experiences and are the property of me. There will be profanity, quite a fucking bit of it, so please keep that in mind along with adult themes and topics. Listener discretion is advised. I've always wanted to say that. you shake it, quiver you, shiver you up The sand seal kiss and deliver you, shiver you up I'm just a popcorn dream gonna red and back and butter you up I'm gonna shiver you shake it, quiver you, shiver you up Hi and welcome to Here She Comes, Confessions of a Retired Vibrator Seller. I'm your host, Jasmine Aziz. First of all, please let me apologize for the lengthy delay in getting the next episode out to you. I've been dealing with a lot of emotional issues, not the least of which involves the very sudden death of my very oldest friend. This next episode is a flashback to my first trip to India when I was five years old. My first memories of life are from that trip abroad and of meeting my first friend ever when I came home from it. Her name was Mary. Mary and I would become close through grade school and then again in high school. We lived on the same street growing up and for a short time I was in Toronto living with Lammy. I saw her more than I saw my own family. Mary was a very dear friend of mine. She was kind, incredibly thoughtful, and had the most charming Childlike giggle that would warm me up from the inside out. I saw her for what I didn't know was the last time this summer when she came to Ottawa to introduce me to her new boyfriend. I've always felt a bit protective of her, so I wanted to make sure he was good enough. I'm happy to say he was perfect for her, and I could see how dearly he cared for her. When he left our table, she whispered to me, Jasmine, I'm going to marry him. And I whispered back, Mary, I will drop everything in life to be there when you do. But sadly, my sweet friend died suddenly in hospital with her beloved by her side on November 22nd. Though that wedding may not have happened, I feel blessed to have witnessed her beaming with great love and it is something that I hold on to moving forward. And I am even more blessed to have been able to call this gentle, kind and generous soul My friend for the last 45 years. This episode is dedicated to Mary, a true champion of overcoming life's obstacles, and trust me, many, many were thrown her way. But she managed to push past them, remaining a beacon of receiving and giving love, and always with that sweet, sweet laugh. And now, back to my story. I was still reeling from the sales boon of the party with the Greek ladies when the head office called asked me to do a special request party. "Lammy, head office called and asked me to do a party in Hamilton this weekend. Hamilton? Why the fuck can't someone else go? Well, they asked for me, apparently. He stopped what he was doing and stared at me for a moment. You know, there's a giant bridge you have to cross to get there, right? I swallowed hard. I'd heard that and was already starting to get nervous. Do you want to come with me? You could drive and then go have dinner somewhere and pick me up later. He went back to what he was doing, averting his gaze from me. No, I can't. I uh, have a conference call with France on the weekend. I have to go into work. I studied him. He hadn't told me about the conference call before that moment. So you have to work this weekend? When were you going to tell me? I just found out. He dropped the cables he had been fiddling with behind his computer and walked out of the solarium without another word. I waited for an awkward moment or two, not sure if he wanted me to follow or wait by his computer for him to return. When he didn't come back, I wandered around the condo looking for him. I found him tucking papers in one of the boxes stacked in the spare bedroom, far out of reach. What are you doing? I asked. Nothing. Let's go to the gym. His eyes dropped to the floor by my feet where his gym bag was packed. The gym? It's Friday night. Can't we go out or do something else instead? Lammy closed the door of the closet and picked up his gym bag, asking me with his eyes if I was going to go to get ready. I sighed and gathered up my gym clothes and runners. He drove aggressively through the side streets to the gym. We barely spoke. I could tell something was bothering him, but didn't feel like wading into the emotional abyss that was sometimes his emotional landscape. While at the gym, I mindlessly ran on a treadmill, and then put even less effort into lifting weights. After an hour of working out, Lammy looked more pumped and his mood seemed to have improved significantly. He hummed to himself in the car on the drive back to the condo. I'm uh, thinking of looking at buying a house. There was a very pregnant pause here in Mississauga you uh, like it here don't you I didn't want to say anything because my mind was reeling in too many directions my first instinct and one side of my brain wanted to blurt out god no I don't want to be this far from my family and I don't want to live with you when that fully sunk in I began to wonder why that was my first reaction The other half of my brain was directing me that this was the last chance I had at my age to find someone and that it wasn't as bad as I thought. I remained silent. Did you hear me? He asked as he pulled the car into the parking space outside. I heard you, yes. I left my response to linger in the air like words floating in uncertainty. It was just vague enough that he wouldn't know if I was saying, yes, I heard you, or... Yes to wanting to buy a house with him in Mississauga. As soon as he opened his car door, I hurried to the elevators and changed the subject to needing to take a shower because I'd worked up so much sweat at the gym. Want to shower together? He said, his free hand juggling his testicles through his shiny gym shorts. I've got my period, I lied. He stopped juggling his sack and shrugged his shoulders. After we took separate showers, I called my hostess Danielle and confirmed how many guests she was expecting. So, how many do you think you'll have, Danielle? Yeah, uh so like I put out through email and I'm expecting 40 people. Yeah, so like uh 40? Let's say 35 to be sure. 35? did you say 35? You know, I've been doing this for a while and most people think they have that many girls confirmed. But in fact, yeah, so like, uh no, that's not me. I'm telling you there are all going to be here and it's going to be off the roof. You're having it on the roof? It's like a saying, okay, I've had these parties before. The girls said they'd come and they will. I even invited my neighbors have you been to Hamilton before? No. Well, we're right after the bridge, so like not Hamilton proper. I'll give you the directions. Do you have pen? I wrote down exactly what she said to make absolute sure I wouldn't get lost. I packed everything I had in stock after a massive order refill from the Greek ladies party. I was fully stocked up. My car was loaded and I was ready to crack the $3,000 sales I had come so close to only a week ago. The night of the party, I headed out two hours early to allow for traffic jams or accidents. As I drove down the 401, the highway opened up and then narrowed. And, like a scene from a horror movie, I saw the bridge begin to rise in the distance. It was the biggest crest of pavement toward the sky that I had ever seen. I immediately felt my hands tighten on the steering wheel and cold sweat spring under my armpits and on the back of my neck. As I veered the car onto the bridge, I felt my foot ease back on the gas, slowing down to 60 kilometers per hour. Cars whizzed past me, honked, and blew me the bird as my car crawled slowly up to the sky. I fought the urge to throw up and took short, deep breaths to keep from passing out at the wheel. As I reached the pinnacle of the bridge, sure I was going to drop into a dark abyss and die with a trunk full of sex toys, a memory from deep in my childhood resurfaced, causing a flood of fluids from tears in my eyes to sweat springing on my palms. To a quiet, shy five-year-old, India was a land of chaos and wonder. There were people everywhere. From the perspective of a two-foot-tall traveler, the country was nothing but a sea of scurrying brown legs and sari fabric tangling around me, causing me to clutch my father's hand even more tightly as he expertly navigated the crowded streets of his youth. Where are we going, Daddy? I would ask as he dragged me from supplier shop to supplier shop. This is business, na I'll get you a fruity. Just hold my hand tight, baby. I didn't know what he meant by business. I just knew each shop we went to, the owners would fuss over me, pick me up, and put me on one counter in the super crammed shops that had space enough to fit a five-year-old. And every time they left me there, they'd hand me a sweet mango drink box, pat me on the head, and return after business was concluded. My father would purchase bangles from one vendor, incense holders from another, buffalo sandals from yet one more, and every imaginable item in brass and pewter that you can think of. He'd spend the entire day out on the busy streets arguing in a language I barely understood with each vendor until by the end they were patting him on the back and saluting him like he was a captain of industry. Every business interaction seemed to be the same. The vendor would yell at my father. My father would yell at the vendor, they would stop for a moment and then the vendor would give in to my father's charm. Array Aziz. they would yell. What do you want me to do? I simply cannot do this at a fixed price. It's a fixed price. Chutia, who are you talking to? My father would counter. No such thing. Give it to me for five rupees. I will take one hundred. Array Aziz, my please. You are killing me. Who are you kidding, Ah, huh? Keep it up. I will only pay you two rupees. Array, it's A1 quality, okay, Aziz, by A1 number one. So is my gant. Now mark it down at four rupees and give me one hundred. Pregnant pause of tension and then finally smiles all around. You're a tough bastard, Aziz, by. Okay, okay. One hundred pieces at four rupees, but no more concessions. Okay, na, no more. Oh, are you, you're my best brother. I won't give you any more difficulty. Last thing, give me those blankets marked one hundred rupees for twenty, okay? Pack it up. To me, my father was everything. He was charming, capable, and looked just like me. Big nose and all. I hated to be separated from him. Even at a young age, I worried about him when I'd see him leave for the store and would grow restless until he was safely back home. That's why it was an easy decision to tag along with him to all the shops in the open markets while he purchased things, bickered, and bargained. After one of those buying trips in the late evening, my father took to drinking, as he did a lot. Somehow, someone got the idea to go for a ride out of the city of Bombay to see some relatives. My father got behind the wheel of the Jeep, and we all stuffed ourselves into every available pocket of the pickup. There was me, my mother, my sister, the friend who owned the Jeep, and two other women all mashed up tightly in the back, holding on to anything available as the car bounced along the bumpy roads. I was wearing a pink and blue Punjabi suit with white lace that my mother bought me from a street vendor. I remember how much I loved it and how fascinated I was by the loose pants and the drawstring waist that my mother had to keep retying every time I went to the bathroom. My most vivid memory is a vision of the loose fabric of the pants flying in the opposite direction from my thighs as air filled my suit and the jeep we were riding in careened off of a bridge on a cliff. I remember the water from the ravine below splashing up onto my curved water buffalo sandals. I had to struggle to keep them on my feet because my mother was clutching me and my sister so tightly to her chest that I could hardly breathe or focus on what had happened. My father, in his slightly drunken state, had miscalculated the roadside and sent our overstuffed jeep over the edge of the bridge. Somehow, quite miraculously, the jeep landed on its tires, causing a dramatic splash from the shallow water we dropped into. Looking back, perhaps it was the weight of the seven passengers in a four-seater jeep that kept the car from landing on its roof and killing everyone in it. Or, perhaps it was the fervent wails to God ringing out in the unrehearsed unison from the women in the car that I heard in the split second the tires left the road that kept us alive. I wasn't sure who was doing the praying, my mother, my aunts, or my father, but I know someone's prayer was answered because the jeep was barely damaged and the most problematic issue we had was finding a way to get it out of the ravine and back on dry land. My father must have sobered up in a matter of seconds. He was barking orders to my mother and aunt to get out of the car and start pushing from the back. I watched my mother get out of the jeep, pull up her sari, and start pushing the back of the vehicle with her shoulders to get us out of the water. I was petrified she would be hurt. And through all the raised voices, which were more magnified by the transference of sound off the water, I struggled to hear my own voice shouting to my mother to get back in the jeep with me and my sister. I quickly stopped screaming when I saw how terrified it was making my sister. I can't be sure how long it took, but sometime later we were back on dry land and close to 20 very gangly Indians came out of nowhere to help fix the engine of the Jeep. Someone gave my sister and I rosewater candy while putting us in the back seat of the car to wait while the adults shouted at each other. I couldn't understand what they were saying. They were either arguing or loudly plotting how to get the Jeep working again. My sister and I cried silently in the back seat. I opened the candy and popped it in my mouth. I promptly spit the perfumey blob out the moment the rose water hit my tongue. My sister held out hers and offered it to me. I threw it out the window of the jeep and held her in my arms while she cried. My mother returned to the jeep to check on us. Her hair was spraying in multiple directions outside of her once tight braid, but her smile, beautiful and warm, reassured my sister and I back to quiet calmness. Miraculously, the jeep sputtered back to life and we drove to the city without any additional drama. My father tucked us into the makeshift bed on the floor and kissed me on the forehead. Were you scared, baby? Yes, Daddy. No need. Abdulaziz is the greatest driver in all the land. Okay now, go to sleep. That's my butcha. I smiled at him and pulled on his ear. His dark brown eyes were twinkling and playful. I watched him kiss my sister on the forehead. As he closed the door to the room we were sleeping in, I heard him start to scream in Gujarati to his sisters, who were yelling back at him. Whether it was an argument or a loud discussion, I'll never know. I just know the sound of it lulled me into a deep sleep as I held my sister close to my chest and dozed off dreaming of anything but bridges and cliffs. Thanks for listening. Again, I apologize for the long delay between podcasts, and I thank those of you who have written in with love and support. To my beautiful friend Mary, I hope the next steps of your journey home are tranquil and pain-free. Thank you for your love. And laughter all these years. I pray for you and for those that loved you as I did. Rest in peace, my dear and dear sweet friend. Until next time, remember that the best part of life is love. So be sure to open your heart to it because here she comes. You you up. I'm just a pop back. To Gonna shiver you, shake and quiver you.